Hello, everyone. Welcome to Talk Racing to Me with Naomi. And I just finished chatting with our guest for today, for this week, the legendary Frankie Dettori, a man that seemingly needs no introduction whatsoever, but I'll give you a quick one. Three-time UK champion jockey, two-time Epsom Derby winner, and winner of 14 Breeders' Cup races, including the Breeders' Cup Classic. It was my pleasure to have a chat with him about anything ranging from you know his life his upcoming new book a documentary and of course what he's looking forward to coming up this year at the Breeders' Cup at Del Mar so without further ado let's get right into it. Frankie how are you doing this afternoon and of course also where can we find you right now? Well I am uh, in Newmarket this is where I live uh, at the moment I'm in my gym well it's next to my house because my wife and daughter are getting their hair done and uh, this is the only quiet place I could find. So, uh, yeah, here we are. I is, uh, I'm racing this afternoon, this evening actually, and then I will be flying across the pond and going to Toronto, Woodbine. That sounds incredibly exciting. You care to share with us uh, what you're looking forward to in Canada? Well, Saturday is the Canadian International and the Mile. Uh, I've got two decent rides, one for Chad Brown, one for Charlie Appleby. And Sunday I've got two, two, two year-olds for Charlie Appleby, Godolphin. And uh, yeah, exciting. I haven't been to Canada for eight or nine years. So I'm looking forward to see my old friends and people that I know over there and you know, it's been a, a good hunting ground for me, Woodbine. So um, I always uh, feel quite excited to go back there. Of course, you've had a tremendous success in Europe, but it must be a lot of fun to travel the world and do well on the big stage as well. I love it. I'll be honest with you. I can't stay home after three days. I have to pack the bag and just get on a plane. I get cabin fever. I need to, I need to, I love to travel. You know, this, this you know, it's been part of my life for 30 years and, and uh, and I love it. Just uh, just love an airport, love a plane. I'm born for it. You and me both. I, I get a little bit stir crazy if I'm in one place for, for too long. So this is kind of a record. I've been in the US for a year and a half now. It's possibly the longest in one time span I've ever been anywhere aside from growing up in the my, Netherlands. My God, yes, probably because uh, because COVID. Otherwise, you would be flying everywhere. True, true. I did get the chance to go out to the World Cup last year, which was good fun. And I know you were very active there too. So hopefully uh, see you there again uh, coming up next year. But let's talk a little bit. You come off the back of a very productive weekend at Doncaster. It was highlighted by the seven-year-old Stradivarius winning uh, the Doncaster Cup Stakes. Must have been a great moment with this uh, veteran runner for you. Yeah, I mean, look, he's... uh... Is uh, people's favorite at the moment. Uh, obviously, Enable was before him. Uh, it kind of took took over the the most popular horse, uh, prestige. I must say, it's always uh, a bit of pressure riding him because you want everything to go right. And uh, I mean, the, the the one I most group success was Enable. I uh, won thirteen group races, and he passed her on. Friday, so I, don't, I won 14 group races. Well, to do that with just one horse is pretty remarkable. So um, it is great. It's good for racing. It's good for the public. 
and it's remarkable that at his age he can still do it you know he's it's it, that's this, the longevity then he's been good and full credit to the trainer John Gosden and Lady Gosden and and the team really and also allows the public to really get to know these top race horses when they race for so much longer and of course your association with them certainly uh, hypes them up a little bit too because everyone recognizes you but when you look back at for example might as well mention enable because of course I was going to ask you about some of the horses that meant the most to you in, in your career she's quite a special one isn't she I'm assuming she's kind of at the top of your list yeah I mean it's no secret it's the horse I love the most uh, you know for many reasons obviously because she was good but then also because she she emotionally took me to places that no other horses have. You know, we, we won two arcs, we were freaking Georges, we went to America, won the British Cup. And, and those emotions, they live with you forever. And uh, I really did it with her. We shared the moment together. So uh, I did, I must say, I did cry for two days when she retired. I was crying of, of sadness. You know, she wasn't dying. She was going <laughs> to the stud next door. But, you know, if you feel like you lose someone you know and um, you know now she's become a broodmare I went to see her a couple of months ago and uh, yeah it's you know horses like they are special they don't come very often and and you get attached to them you know I mean in, look, my my job is, is jockey and the first thing that you, you do have is the love of the horse uh, otherwise you won't do it but then you get special horses like her and you, you you get really attached to them and they really kind of get inside your heart, you know, and uh, it's special, special moments. And even talking about it now, I get a lump in my throat because I just remember all the great stuff that we did together. And, and yeah, it was fabulous. I was going to ask, like, as a jockey, do you try and perhaps not fall too much in love with the runner for fear of indeed if they retire or, or if the worst of something happens? I remember I rode a lot of two-year-olds and, and also a lot of older horses. And at the beginning, I used to really, you know, get attached to these horses. And then if they moved on to a different yard or they move on in their career, there's me like bawling my eyes out. So I try to at one point kind of step away a little bit. Did you ever have that experience that you kind of try to not, you know, like them too much? I think it's very hard. I think you, 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 you're you not human if you don't get attached to them. And, uh, you know, even if you try to to separate yourself, you can't. You know, you just, you know, because the love of the horse, the love of the the, the, the animal itself, and and then you do get attached to them. And, and it's, you know, luckily for me, it's always another horse coming along, but, you know, the sadness is always there when someone leaves. And, and I don't think it'll ever change. And I think everyone involved in racing is like that. You know, we, we just love the animal itself. And and that's why we do it, because it's so great. And, you know, to have such a wonderful animal uh, and, and, and and enjoy racing together is amazing. I definitely think I mean, you won't get Yeah, you, you won't get there in the car, you know, uh, as you turn the key in an engine. Obviously, <laughs> petrol heads probably, they say the different thing, but... You know, to have such a beautiful live, live animal, uh, you, you know, is, is we, we were very lucky. I was going to say, uh, petrol heads, do, do you like uh, like your cars a little bit? Can you identify on that front? But obviously very different, a live animal indeed, as you said. Correct. Yeah, oh, look, uh, I, I come from Italy, so Formula One has been in our blood, especially Ferrari team. So I, I do follow it. Uh, uh, 
uh, that's a little bit of my, my pastime. Oh, I mean, uh, me too, of course. For but you got, but obviously, uh, exactly. You got Max. <laughs> he, he just won the, your, your country's Grand Prix last week. I yes. know, Zonfort. Yep. Yeah, so, um, yeah, amazing driver. So it's all, it's all exciting. Yeah, I love that you follow follow it as well. I don't think too many people I know do. But um, let's talk a little bit about some other things as well. I, I'm sure you've been asked this question uh, many a times before, but when it comes to you developing as a rider when you were younger, did you look up to certain jockeys or which grades did you try to emulate in your riding style and success? Was there someone that you modeled yourself to? Well, first of all, I, uh, I, uh, my dad was initiated by my love of the sport. He was a jockey. So I followed it, started with him. But my dad is a lot shorter than me and stockier. I'm taller, uh, so I've got a different body shape. Uh, then I uh, came to England, and obviously I was uh, fascinated by Steve Cawthon. And then so I was trying to look at him as well. And then I had four winters in America, what really helped me a lot. And one of my heroes was uh, Angel Cordero. And so I used to try, try to copy him. Uh, and, then, and then as you grow up, you, you, you have to find your own style, you know. And, um, yeah, I'm trying to pick up little things out of everyone and try, you know, I, I uh, practiced and I changed. And, and so, you know, it, it, it takes years of evolution of your style. That you just don't pick it up from the shell and say, right, I'm going to be like him. It doesn't work like that. And, and I guess in any sport. So, um, but a lot of little things from most, a lot of jockeys that helped me to, to, to create my own stuff. Do you feel like you are still continuing to develop and learn after all those decades in the saddle? Yes, obviously. Uh, you know, look, I'm 50. I'm not 20 anymore. So you have to adjust yourself a little bit, you know, perhaps I'm not as supple as I was 20 years ago. So you have to go forever adjusting things. I don't think uh, technique, technique wise, uh, I'll be changing a lot, but uh, like I said, uh, father time is catching up and you have to go along with it. So uh, I'm, I'm trying to keep as close as I can without changing too many things. You highlighted your stint uh, riding in the U.S. as well and getting experience there. How would you characterize the differences between, for example, the European way of racing and the American way of racing? Of course, you've been very successful across the pond. Uh, well, of, of course, well, all the tracks in America are on all a left and oval. Uh, the, the racing is mostly uh, all about speed. So uh, for, for that uh, point uh, the aerodynamics of the body behind the horse to 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 cut the wind is is paramount in America. Well, it's not so paramount in Europe. So you you had to adapt to it and change, and that's and then obviously we have variety of race courses: left, right, upper hill, downhill. So a lot you have to. Um, uh, completely different riding style and and i you know the the four winters that i did in california and santa anita helped me to mix the two styles the european and the english so i could came came up with my own style but would work in both sides of the world 
and I think I succeeded. Possibly <laughs> one of the reasons that you've been so successful, for sure, because I'm assuming that as a jockey, if you're just uh, if you're just accustomed to one way of doing things, maybe that means you don't have as many uh, variety of tools uh, at your fingertips, so to speak. Hundred percent. You know, I was lucky enough that I uh, I rode in thirty different countries, or even more than that, and if in in completely different styles and uh, and you know you have to adjust you know and uh, and but to me I always felt it was a good challenge I love the challenge to try to do something different or something else and it always kind of pushed me to 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 prove myself and to prove that other people that it can be done. Well, let's get to one of the reasons that I had you on uh, this podcast today. You you've got a new book. Coming up, Frankie yep. Tory Leap of Faith. Well, you've Leap been, faith, yeah. yeah, you've been the subject of a few other books as well. What is it specifically that this latest book will dive into? Well, I think that my last one was about 15 years ago. Um, and a lot's gone on since my personal life and my racing career. And, and, and I always think that everyone, every human being, we change a little bit every 10 years, you know, from 20 to 30, 30 to 40, 40 to 50, uh, in, in many different ways. You're more experienced or you have a different outlook of life now than I did when I was 20. So so just uh, some interesting few points when I put on a book and and people can enjoy it and, and, uh, and perhaps uh, think that, you know, uh, is a lot of people thinking the same way that I think. Oh, come on. you got to give us a little bit of a teaser. I haven't read the book because obviously it's not out yet. Tell us why we should read well, it. Well, all the great lesson. Uh, uh, the split with Godolphin, uh, me losing my license for the drugs, uh, enable, uh, plane crashes, obviously the record breaking seven out of seven. I mean, I lived a very colorful life. So uh, I'm sure if the guys will pick it up, they will not get bored. It's plenty so, there to read. You mentioned a couple of points that were quite significant in your life. Is it difficult to, to talk about that? Or how does that work when someone is writing a book for you, you sit and you talk about these moments? Because I can't imagine that being easy. I'll be honest with you. You know, when you, if it was my 20s, it would have been a bit difficult. Listen, I'm 50 and you know, I've got nothing to hide. My, my, my life has been black and white and it's been in the public domain. So there's no point uh, trying to hide it about it. And... Uh, and like I said, I'm 50 now, so I really don't really care what people think or not. It's, you know, it just it, 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 what 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 I've did is past now. You know, now I'm just gonna look forward to and and you know I just put it put everything in the book and uh, and try to explain my version and uh, and uh, you know I don't I, I don't I'm not looking for any uh, apologies or sympathy. I was just I tried to uh, make a book that is interesting and um, and it reflects my great journey than I've had so far yeah perhaps it'll yeah like you said it allows you to to get things off your chest and and present your point of view on on whatever has gone on throughout that journey that has been your life which indeed has been you know incredibly colorful in so many ways <laughs> the, the word colorful that's that's like that, that covers everything Absolutely. I took that from you you just said that <laughs> <laughs> yes go ahead it is been colorful trust me never a dull moment 
I'm very much looking forward to it. I definitely have to pick up a copy. When when does it come out? I think it's coming out the middle of October, and then uh, on the back of that, I think in I, I did the, 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 the life documentary. Then will come out in November, sometimes in November. Uh, Sky got the rights for it, uh, and again, it's it's like uh, it's like a, a film of the book, more or less. Uh, so that that would be quite interesting. Wow! Yeah, how does how does that work? How do you film? Obviously, the book spans decades, right? Yeah. How did they manage to get footage of certain moments or things? Well, the, it's amazing. Some great archives. Mom at the circus. My dad when he was young, and then uh, you know I had the film crew on and off with me for about two years. Uh, obviously, COVID didn't help, but uh, oh. they managed to research and uh, really. You know they put their head down, and uh, it's you know I watched I watched the first cut the other day, and it's quite cringy when you look at your own life. You know, I felt actually so embarrassed because you know what happens next. But but I guess the people who don't know anything about me would be quite interested. Okay, so you said quite cringy. Is there anything we need to know about your life or house <laughs> that is clearly very different from most people? <laughs> yeah, I, I think you'll be pretty pretty shocked when you watch it. It'd be quite it's, it's quite interesting. Oh, come on. Give us like one little detail. What is what is something about Frankie Dottori most of us don't know? No, no, I can't spoil the party. Come on. I've already <laughs> told, told you a little bit. Very much looking forward to that. And so when did you say that's coming out? Just after the book? Yeah, I think sometimes in November. Uh, I think we're going to have a, a premiere the 15th of November. Then after that, I guess it'll be, it'll be in the public domain. So, uh, yeah, I'm excited. It's all, it's all happening. I'll be honest with you. I've never been so busy in my life. So I say very busy on that sort of professional writing front as well as on, on the other side in, in terms of your you know, activities, uh, the literary side and on TV. Now, you're one of the jo- few jockeys that seemingly has truly transcended the sport in terms of your profile and celebrity. Does that sometimes feel like it comes with a little bit of extra rate that you're in a way representing racing to a much larger audience well it's, it's all my own fault because i always <laughs> i always wanted to be famous and be recognized and now now you know it's like sometimes it can be a little bit of a difficult moment but listen uh, racing is a um, is 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 a sport for people to enjoy and, and you cannot hide behind the corner is is on tv is in the newspapers and and, uh, you know, I, of course, I'm trying to promote myself. I also try to promote racing, to sell it to the world. What a beautiful sport we have and what, uh, and how well look, we look after the horses and how much the horses enjoy it and, you know, all of that. So um, I think I have some sort of responsibility to the sport to to, to give something back to, 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 to the audience where they don't know anything about racing. So uh, it is, uh, it can be uh, uh, tiring at times, but most of the times it's been fun. Because you always come across, you know, very energetic, very much wanting to engage with the audience and and be a part of that. And indeed be, you're a wonderful representative, but does that sometimes, you know, let's say when you get home, be like, wow, I feel, I feel quite drained from all of that. (laughs) Yeah. I'll be honest with you. I I, I even forgot how much popular uh, I am because (laughs) Obviously, for, for the last year with COVID, we didn't have one soul at the races. So I, I, I kind of a year 
they're off. I'll be honest with you. I thought, and then all of a sudden, when the crowd has come back, uh, I mean, it's mental, absolutely mental. People don't touch you. We want to ask for autographs and want selfies. I mean, it's just full on. Well, I'll be honest with you, I don't mind, but sometimes it can be very tiring, especially if you had a mediocre day and you got beaten a couple of favorites or something. So emotionally, you kind of drain. But overall, uh, I'm very lucky. People are so nice to me. And uh, yeah, it's, it's fun when you hear your name be cheered or shouted from the grandstand. It's, it's, it's an amazing feeling. Yeah, it must certainly give you a fair bit of energy too to have the crowds back. Oh, yes. Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, you get on the horse, you hear people shouting your name and and it's, it just gives you a lift, you know. Uh, it's fantastic. And we have missed the crowd so much. I forgot how great it is to have them back. When you talked a little bit about the other side of being a jockey, if you have a day that you have a couple of tough beats and that's not something that you're partial to that's you know across the board for all professional riders over the years do you feel like you've gotten better at, at helping yourself with those kind of perhaps disappointing moments uh listen i i don't think is you you'll never you'll never cure yourself of being a bad loser you know you you know if you're a prof- professional sportsman you always want to try to win and you know it's always difficult to 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 accept if you made a mistake or defeat but you know, f- throughout the years, you get to accept it more, you know, but it still hurts, but you, the acceptance is better. And uh, and that's it, really. You know, if you think about it, I, I average uh, 20% strike rate or 20, whatever. So you lose more times than you win. So you uh, you have to train yourself not to uh, not to take the, the sadness of losing to the next race. You have to move on. Because 20% is actually a strike rate. That means you're doing very well in, in this sport. That is kind of what most people would be aspiring to do, 20 or maybe you know 25, whatever you can achieve. So that's even on the positive side of it. So you're very you know correct there that you lose more than, than you win, and that can be very tricky. Now, something completely different for our um, American listeners here and, and people that don't know you as well, of course, very much well-known for your flying dismount. It's kind of famous now. How did you come up with the idea to do that and continue? Well, I, so I, I must say, I, I, I was a thief. I nicked it from uh, Andrew Cordero that he used to do it. When I was in California, he used to come over from New York and ride the weekends. And when he used to win the big race, he used to leap off the horse. And I was a, fa- I was a kid. I was 16, 17. I was fascinated by it. And I remember practicing in the, in the barn, in the backstretch. <laughs> <laughs> in the mornings and uh, it, it kind of when I went back to Europe and started riding it kind of all, was all forgotten about it and then uh, when I won my first British Cup on Baratheia the trainer asked me to do it and I thought you you got to be kidding are you in front of everybody says yeah do it come on I know you can do it and then yes uh, I started it then and it's a bit of fun uh, and then basically everybody thinks then is my little thing, but actually I'm, I'll tell you the truth. I, I nicked it from Angel and, uh, and uh, we, you know, he never said, he's not upset with me. I think he's quite happy that I'm carrying on his tradition. <laughs> I'm glad to hear that. Of course, Angel Cordero, one of the legendary jockeys here in the US, uh, king of the spa. 
as I like to call him, King of Saratoga. Definitely have had the pleasure of meeting him a couple of times. What a a tremendous character as well. So a good segue into the Breeders' Cup. You mentioned uh, Barathea, your first ever Breeders' Cup winner. That was uh, 1994. Of course, you'll be back at it again this year uh, at Del Mar. You're actually, I was looking this up. You're one of the few jockeys that are still riding that have attended the Breeders' Cup since uh, 1990. I think it's a fun fact that Mike Smith, first uh, British Cup was also in 1990 um, but as far as as possible mounts go do you have any you know tips for us or any horses that you're looking forward to hopefully uh, being able to compete on them this year out there well uh, I think Wesley might have a couple for me maybe a two-year-old and maybe Campanelle uh, Europeans wise um, uh, John goes they might send a couple maybe a filly or something like that. And then uh, I've been kind of uh, helping out on the Balidoy of the Aiden O'Brien team the last couple of years in America. So, you know, and you know, with them, their second string is as good as their first string. So I'll be, I'll be, I'll be begging for them to send something over for me. And yeah, so look, we've still got a bit of time to go, but I love the British Cup. I won 14 of them. Uh, is it, I kind of feel like uh, a bit of a Ryder Cup scenario is us versus the Americans, and and because I probably am the oldest, I feel like I am the captain of Europe to take on the Americans. So uh, it, 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 there is a very good uh, band, um, uh, rivalry, but uh, nice rivalry. But we we both want to beat each other so bad. So uh, that's uh, that's why the British Cup is so great. I was going to say, no pressure there, captaining uh, the European team. I know <laughs> that I'm rooting for you guys, clearly, you know, Dutch roots. Uh, hopefully you'll have a very successful one again this year. But let's talk a little bit about uh, perhaps some of those 14 British Cup wins today. What would be your most visceral memory the win or even year that stood out to you most when it comes to the breeders cup uh well when I, my first one when i was 1990 was an amazing because leicester came out of retirement they won the who wins that uh the the mile the jewel jumps the shadow i mean all sorts went on that day i mean it was madness and then uh, obviously my first win you never forget uh, then uh, I messed up on Swain in the Classic in 99. And then I won the year back on Dailami, so that was like a payback time. Uh, and then uh, obviously winning the Classic, I would say probably the most important, uh, especially at Santa Anita where I started as a kid. It, it was a, a more emotional day, really, really. And then, obviously, so many others, you know, obviously, fantastic lights and uh, and the Phillies, Ouija board, she was amazing. Queen's Trust. I mean, the old special. Uh, even even a long shot on Wilco when he was 41 uh, at uh, Lone Star. So that was quite a surprise. You know, they are very hard to win. So everyone is special. Yeah, let's quickly retouch upon the one that you say was quite an emotional day when you won the classic. I think it was two thousand eight. Uh, Ravens Pass. Can you still remember the feeling when you crossed the wire? Oh, unbelievable! Uh, 
it was basically it was it was it was watching Sea Biscuit but doing it for real. You know, if you watch if you watch the Sea Biscuit the movie, I, I felt exactly like it. I, and, and the visual that you see of the grandstand and yourself turning from home and people screaming. I mean, if people people that haven't watched the Sea Biscuit go and watch it, that's exactly how I felt. It was incredible. Oh, I've watched Seabiscuit many times. I actually had Gary yeah. Stevens quote me one of his lines uh, the other day at Saratoga. <laughs> it's, it's a terrific movie. I really encourage everyone to. So I yes. agree with you there. And well, you know, it, it means something. I, I remember my first time attending the British Cup was actually uh, 2019 at Santa Anita Park. It really feels like it's nearly extra special when it's out there. I know. Okay. And, 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 and to, to put the... A cherry on the cake. I got to kiss Paul Derek in the lips, and I got to shake uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger's hand. So <laughs> it all happened that day. <laughs> what a contrast! Oh my! The mayor, <laughs> the mayor of California, Arnold Schwarzenegger, and Paul Derek. Honestly, it was mad, completely. And you know, even even the, the you know, I was there. I wasn't riding in the race, but uh, when Zenyatta won, I made the point to leave the jocks room and I walked under the tunnel to the winner's circle and I watched the race there and I never experienced anything like it. It was absolutely incredible. It gave a goosebumps in your skin and I thought the grandstand was going to come down. It, the roar was incredible. Another special moment. Yeah, I was going to say, do, do you still, when you see these greats, even though you're not aboard them, still very much appreciate uh, the legends that they obviously turn out to be, especially Zenyatta? And you have a very good relationship with Mike Smith as well. Oh, yeah, of course. We are we are the oldest. <laughs> we, we were the youngest. Now we are the oldest. I met Mike in, like I said, in the British Cup for 1990, and he, and he looked after me. You know, I was, I was only 19. I didn't know my way around New York and things like that. So we're going back a long time. And a completely different note, we'll, we'll move along to uh, just a couple of other questions that I still have for you. If you look back throughout your career, of course, we've just mentioned all of the highs. When would you really say that you started to put yourself on the map as a jockey? When did you feel like you really become became a household name? Because, of course, we've talked about all your success. But, you know, it's something that has gradually come, right? It wasn't an overnight thing. I was, you know, I was, I was, I don't want to sound too cocky, but I was pretty good from the beginning, really. I was champion bug rider when I was 17. Then I got the first job at Kumani 18, and I started winning group ones straight away. And But really, the turning point is uh, 96, when I won the seven, when I won every race at Ascot. So that was, you know, obviously, it was a world record, 350 years. And, uh, you know, people didn't know anything about racing they were taking note. Uh, I was even on the national news. I mean, it was, and that that's really pushed me to another level. And, uh, you know, how it happened, I don't know, but it did happen. <laughs> and uh, it's 25 years next week, really. Seems a long time ago. Oh, that indeed. I didn't know that the, was it the anniversary coming up soon? Yeah, for, for those that know, I think the odds were about 25,000 to one correct for you correct. To, uh, and you know what timer? 25 years have passed and i still have people coming up to me saying how much money they won they paid their mortgage they paid their holiday or i mean it's amazing uh, from all spectrum of 
of people from taxi drivers to nurses to teachers to people who work uh, repairing roads i mean all sorts i mean it's amazing that uh, you know for people who like to gamble uh, it was a dream come true because you know for a little stake you can win 25000 so it was it was, it was um, i'm proud of that because usually bootmakers take all the money so it's nice sometimes the punter wins some oh, you feel like you gave so- back to the public huh I feel like uh, Robin Hood took from the rich and gave it to the poor. <laughs> so that day itself, also, like you said, uh, quite a long time ago, I can't say that I remember much about that. I think it was like a baby or something. But that's, in, you... the, that's in the book. <laughs> <laughs> if, if you look back on that, uh, did you think that you were going to get those seven wins? Obviously, most likely not. But when you start winning and winning and winning, does that increase your confidence that you're kind of on this high and all of a sudden things start working out for you? For, for sure, for sure. Adrenaline takes over and uh, the feel-good factor and the people gets behind you. The horse, don't forget, the horse has got a sixth sense. You know, we use horses for blind people, deaf people, people with special needs. So the horses feel your moods. And, and I felt most of the horses after, I guess, the third or fourth or the fifth race, I was transporting this tremendous uh, adrenaline and energy to the next one and to the next one after that. And it just snowballed out of out of my control. You know, I I, I wish I could bottle it, but it, it, unfortunately, when those things happen, you don't realize it happens. And uh, yeah, and I definitely agree what you said. It is definite. The, the feel-good factor, the, the redlining and, and the, whole, the whole package that transmit to the horse or to the next one, you know. So, yeah, it's true. Would that, in a way, be the feeling that most jockeys, as well as you, are kind of chasing on a daily basis, that kind of high of victory? Yeah, absolutely, without a doubt. So I'm trying to, I mean, when I approach the races, I'm trying to... Uh, I surround myself with uh, happy friends, happy people, have a good, uh, happy family life. Uh, and so approach racing. So my mind is happy and uh, I can transmit positive energy to the horse. You know, I also feel when you're in a bad mood. It feels like uh, if you have arguing with your wife or if you're falling out with your friends, I do feel it. And I don't think they perform just as good. So you have to try to approach the day because like, like we said, is a, is a living animal. And it's got feelings, so to um, try to approach the day on a positive note, you know, and and that's that's probably the hardest thing to do in my job. Um, you can you can practice and study the form as much as you want, but if you don't give that little extra to your partner to your horse, then it's not gonna win. So that's probably the more the hardest thing to learn as in my, in my profession. I, I can agree with you if, more. If, if, if that makes sense, maybe I confused a few people now. Well, to me, it does, because I've always felt horses are like a mirror. They kind of give back what you give them. So if you're there very calm, very happy, very relaxed, that is kind of what they try to to give back to you and and reciprocate. So if you have a nervous horse and you're quite calm, they tend to settle a little bit better for you as well. So to me, that makes a lot of sense. Right. And, you know, and that's uh, probably, like I said, it's probably the most important technique that a jockey's got to learn, you know, and it's not easy done. Talking about, you know, the positive vibes leading up to your race, do you listen to any music? If so, of course, we'd like to know what kind of playlists you listen to. I'm very boring. I'm, uh, you know, 
pop pop music, I like house music and whatever's on the radio at the time. Uh, sometimes I, I, I catch one song and I keep on singing it for days on end. But uh, yeah, I'm, I think uh, music is very important to, you know, to, uh, to kind of take a bit of pressure out of your mind. You know, boxers use it before they get to the ring and no different to us. You know, I like to hear music, uh, I think is uh, just relax your mind a little bit. Well, I must admit that you were saying, oh, I'm quite boring. I'm like, I'm pretty sure you're anything but boring. <laughs> so I disagree with that statement. But uh, on that note, Frankie, I'm sure that you've got, you know, busy schedule ahead. I wish you safe yeah. travels. And thank you so much for joining me here today. And a big kiss to all the listeners. And uh, we'll see you uh, in a few weeks' time at Del Mar, the first uh, weekend of November. So uh, take care and keep safe and back plenty of winners if you're a gambler. Ciao. Possibly one of the best sign-offs I've ever come across from a guest. Thank you so much to Frankie Dettori for generously sitting down with me and having this chat and of course very much looking forward to seeing him in action stateside at Del Mar. Of course uh, good luck in Canada as well coming up shortly. So that will do it for us this week. Very much enjoyed having this incredibly talented legendary guest on this week and I must admit I'm game. I am going to 100% buy that book. I can tell by what Frankie was saying. He was being a little bit coy about some of the details that, you know, there was plenty of entertaining value in there. So really, really can't wait till that one uh, comes out mid-October. Of course, uh, in the meantime, find me on the live streams every single day that we have live racing at Laurel Park. That's four days a week, which includes today. We've got the Francis Dash coming up this weekend as well for stakes races. So so much to look forward to. Hopefully see you uh, trackside somewhere.